love hearing your guys' voices. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4 is where you can turn, and we'll be camping out in that passage in Ephesians 4 throughout the entire message today. So Monday, I uh, went to the dentist. Everybody loves going to the dentist, right? Um, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't anything too big, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about that and just how, how crazy going to the dentist is. First of all, it's a personal invasion. You have, like, strangers putting their hands in your mouth. I mean, how, you just don't do that anywhere else, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's a little scary. They have drills, uh, metal hooks. And have you ever noticed when you get a shot at the dentist, they can't just, like, use a normal shot. It's like some type of medieval torture device that they find that it's metal and long, and, you know, they kind of they weave it in and out and, and all of that. I mean, it's like, whoa, where did this come from? And then the dentist has judgment. You know, you're always afraid that they're going to come down on you. You need to brush more. You need to eat less sweets. You need to take better care of your teeth. And in reality, there's also nowhere to hide. Because they take x-rays everywhere, you know, every angle, you know, and uh, there's all these bright lights, and they poke at your teeth, and so if you have tooth decay, it's going to reveal itself. You can't hide it. I mean, they're going to eventually find it. So what, what makes a good day for you? Whenever you peel your head at night, what makes you feel like you've had a successful day? Well, for me... Um, I feel like I've had a successful day if I've come across a new thought. It's just kind of the way I'm wired, I guess because I teach a lot and, and such. If, if somewhere during the course of the day I pick up an idea that I think, you know what, that, that works with this and this, this, will, this will help people in their spiritual walk, it's like I, I'm good. I can have unchecked boxes, but if i got a new thought, I'm a happy camper, right? Others, you have to have those boxes checked at the end of the day, right? Uh, and so the last place you would expect to encounter a good idea is the dentist chair. But I had a little light bulb moment. And this is it. Truth decay reveals itself in our relationships. Now, I realize it's a little bit corny. And some of you may think that there was like residual nitrous oxide in the air whenever I came up with that. But stick with me because this truth decay idea is actually grounded in scriptural thought. And it will, whenever truth begins decaying in our lives, it will impact our relationships. So go with me to verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about the new life that we have in Christ. And he says these words, Therefore, putting away lying speak, lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. 
you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from among you, along with all malice. And then here's the destination point. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So let's talk a little bit about this passage and truth decay. It begins in the heart. And what happens is it will hollow out your soul and it will eat away at your compassion. And eventually, truth decay will reveal itself in your relationships. And if it continues to go unchecked, your relationships will begin to break down and your life will become isolated. Your heart will become hard and you won't really be able to authentically engage with other people because you will have walled yourself off and isolated yourself behind a life of deception. So there are three stages of this decay. Stage one is lying. Stage two is anger. And stage three is bitterness. And they progressively lead to the breakdown of our relationships. And so let's start with stage one and go back to the beginning of the passage where he says, therefore, put away lying. Quit deceiving, quit lying, put that away because you are a new creation in Christ and therefore speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. We are connected to one another. We care about one another. We love one another. And so therefore, we do not deceive each other. Instead, we walk together in honesty. We've been talking about being secure in Christ. Security in Christ. And what does that mean? And how if you know who you are and whose you are, you can go anywhere and you can be secure in the fact that you are a child of God, secured in Christ. The passage here says, sealed by the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to open your heart and to go into areas that demand of you faith and to enter into authentic relationships and live in community because you're not insecure and the environment around you is not constantly redefining you. You are able to be who you are in Christ no matter where you go. And so as we've talked about security and insecurity, you know one of the major reasons why people tell lies is because they feel insecure. Now, we recognize this in little, little kids. The other day, my uh, five-year-old, Camden, he, uh, he was in the house and there was a big mess. He has a tendency to be attracted to big messes. And so I, I, think, uh, I think it was Stacy, I heard her say, who made this big mess? And Camden, who's five, is like, not me. Well, then, who did it? Must have been Tater. Tater's our dog. <laughs> Must have been the dog. Now, why was he telling this, we'll call it an untruth. Why was he telling this untruth? 
because he was insecure. He was concerned that if he was revealed as the one who'd made the mess, that he would be punished. And so out of his insecurity, he told something that wasn't true. And when we feel insecure, we are often afraid of the truth because we're afraid that if the truth comes out, it's going to hurt us. And then you take this into relationships. You take this into the reality that some of us have been told things about ourselves that are simply not true, and we have believed those lies. You take the fact that Satan's native language is lying and deceit, and so many of us have been, have been convinced that we are not who the Bible says we are, that we are not dearly loved children of God, secure in Him, and we take these insecurities into our relationships, and we believe that if people people really knew my story, if they really knew who I was, they would reject me. And so we revise our story in order to make ourselves look better. In reality, what you're doing is you're rejecting yourself because you're rejecting your integrity. You're rejecting who you are. You're even rejecting the story that God has given you and I know that your story may even be full of some things that just should not have been, but through your story, his story can be proclaimed. There's no need to lie. There's no need to live your life with deceit. You can be different. And unfortunately, most people lie. Uh, UMass psychologist Roger, Robert Feldman said in a 10-minute conversation 60% of people tell an average of two to three lies. Dr. Gina Scott, author of a book called The Truth About Lying, says that 91% of people lie and that they tell an average of 13 major lies a week. Now, this is interesting. Women, when they lie, tend to lie in order to make somebody else feel better. Your hair looks good. Men tend to lie in order to make themselves look better. Yeah, I've been pressed 255. No, you don't. You know, you don't. You, maybe 135 at your peak when you were 18, but now it's like the bar. That's about it. You know, and so we, we tend to tell these things in order for men, in order to try to make ourselves look better, and for ladies, a lot of times, in order to try to make others feel better. And I don't want to be gender exclusive on this. I mean, people just often tell lies. So what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Deceit, lying, is the opposite of integrity. And every time we lie, we are selling ourselves for the moment. What we're doing is we're trying to gain approval in the moment. If I say this this way, they will like me. And you need to realize you're already secure in Christ. And because you are secure in Christ, you don't have to be this deceptive person. Listen, don't do it. It's not worth it. The lie may win you the moment, but in the long run, it prostitutes your character. So don't do it. So stage two of truth decay is anger. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. And don't let the sun go down 
on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. So we have three different principles here. Number one, when we are angry, do not let that lead to sinful behavior. Number two, settle anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it fester. And number three, don't give the devil an opportunity because he knows the areas of your life where you're short-tempered. And he presses those buttons in order to try to get you into his trap. Now, this may surprise you. I know this is a shocking statement. We live in a culture that is filled with a lot of anger. You ever thought of it? You're like, wow, that was profound. And when people get angry, the truth often gets distorted. In fact, uh, you can get angry and you start kind of just chasing this battle of anger and after a while, you don't even remember what you're angry about. You ever had, a, had, a, had this happen with your spouse? You ever get in a fight with your spouse? Say, Pastor. <laughs> My wife and I, we never argue. We're the Beaver Cleaver family. Right, you're in church now, and I'm preaching on lying, so don't be lying right now in the middle of a sermon on lying, okay? But for the rest of us, you find yourself in some type of argument, and you're going at it, and you're both making your cases, and after a while, you can't even remember what you were talking about. And that's how, that's how lying, uh, truth decay, goes. You start out here, and then you start going here, and here, and here, and before long, you can't even remember where it all started from. And angry environments will eventually lead to apathetic souls. And apathetic souls begin to withdraw from what's really important. And then we make things that don't really matter really important. And we spend all of our time just arguing about things that don't really matter. Is anger a sin? Is anger a sin? No. Anger is actually a natural human emotion. In fact, uh, it's okay to sometimes be angry. Some, some of us are wired in such a way, uh, I'm in that camp as well, where we want to pretend as if we're never really angry about anything. But anger is a natural human emotion, just like sadness or just like happiness. There are times when you feel angry. And there's times where anger is justified. If somebody invades my home and tries to hurt my children, we're not going to talk about that, bro. We're going to fight over that, okay? I'm going to go ballistic, literally, at that point, okay? Because I have a God-given responsibility to protect my family. There's times where it is justified to get angry. Jesus got angry. What did he get angry about? He got angry when people were deceiving others and, and desecrating the temple. They had turned the temple into kind of this carnival rather than it being a place of worship for all people. When he saw people making a mockery out of God's temple, Jesus got angry. So being angry in and of itself is not the sin, but when the devil gets the foothold, your anger can lead to sin. 
See, here's what happens. Anger begins to move in. It pulls up its U-Haul to your soul. It unloads its lazy boy in the living room of your heart. Anger begins to live on your computer screen, and you surf it frequently. It flows through your earbuds, and subtly, anger becomes one of your best friends. And it becomes something that never goes away. You continually are dealing with anger. You're continually living in anger, and it becomes part of your identity. And so in the passage, we are taught to deal with our angry anger quickly. The passage says, don't let the sun go down on it. Now, you've probably heard people along the way that says, well, in our marriage, we have a habit that we never go to sleep angry with one another, right? You ever heard people say that before? Of course, they always have dark circles under their eyes because they haven't slept in like two months, right? But, uh, you know, it's a good principle that you don't, you don't let anger fester. Because when anger festers, that's when it turns into bitterness. Anger is something that maybe you hold on to. It's something that's part of you. Bitterness is something that goes everywhere you go. You can be a bitter person and not even know it. It's just, it kind of spews out of you. And it happens when anger has lived in you far too long. And that's the third stage of truth decay. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. So see where this is going? Now our deception has turned to anger, our anger has turned to bitterness, and in our relationships there is now wrath. What does wrath look like in a relationship? Wrath is now pouring down judgment upon another person. Wrath is now devaluing the image of God in another individual. We are no longer seeing the good in them. We are no longer thinking the best of them. We are no longer wishing well for them. But now we are actually wishing ill intent upon another. We have wrath towards another person. Why? Because anger has turned into bitterness. And then look at how the relationships unfold in bitterness. There's shouting and there's slander. And what does the Apostle Paul say? This, and he's talking about the body of believers, needs to be removed from you. That's not how the Holy Spirit wants you to live. That's not how churches are supposed to function, where we are bitter and angry and we shout and slander others. And the scriptures say, remove that from the body. Don't let it be a part. It will be a cancer that ultimately destroys the body. Remove it along with all malice. You see, when truth decay reaches the bitterness stage, it can no longer be ignored. You can't just say, well, tooth will be okay. <laughs> Everything's hurting because of the decay within. And at stage three, our relationships are falling apart. 
Suddenly, the relationship with your spouse, the relationship with your children, the relationship with your co-works, your neighbors, it's no longer healthy. Suddenly, uh, you find yourself isolating. Suddenly, those relationships that you enjoy, they're, they're no longer there. And it may be your anger and bitterness, or it may be somebody else's anger and bitterness. But the relationship is now hurt. Integrity has been sold. And love, which wishes the best for another person, has been replaced with malice. So earlier in the passage, the Scripture told us to speak the truth in love. What does that look like? You've probably heard me say before, Christians need to have firm spines but soft hearts. We need to have a firm spine that stands for truth, that is not compromised in our truth. Yet at the same time, we need to have a soft heart that loves others, even in the truth. Speaking the truth in love seeks to help another person. You see, whenever we are speaking the truth in love, we're genuinely caring about what's best for the other. And that's also heard in our tone. We're not shouting and slandering. There's not malice and ill will. But we're speaking a truth with the desire to help another. Speaking the truth in bitterness seeks to destroy another person. You don't really care about them. You're not trying to help them. You're just trying to pour wrath down upon them and hurt them. Speaking the truth in love will promote unity and reconciliation. Speaking the truth in bitterness will promote division and separation. Speaking the truth in love exalts Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I want. Whenever I speak the truth in love, you can hear it because it's going to exalt Christ. People who speak the truth in love talk about Jesus. People who speak the truth in love talk about His Word. They talk about prayer. They talk about the spiritual disciplines. Why? Because their life is about exalting Christ. And when they speak the truth, they're not using it as a club to bring others down, but they are using the truth to try to help others. Speaking the truth in bitterness will belittle Christ and exalt me. And so, in a world full of truth decay, I encourage you to be a person of integrity, to be a person of honesty. If lies have crept into your life, if lies have crept into your conversation, put them away. Identify those lies. If you have believed lies of the devil throughout your life, you've believed that this is who you are, and people have tried to define you in this way, and how they've tried to define you contradicts what Scripture says about you. Put that lie away. Don't adorn yourself in it. Don't embrace it. Live secure in Christ, because when you live secure in Christ, then you can speak the truth in love, and it can be wrapped in compassion and kindness rather than dripping with anger. And so we arrive at a destination point in verse 32. This is what the whole chapter has been about there in Ephesians chapter 4, this final thought here at the end in verse 32. He says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ also forgave you in Christ. 
And so we have several words in here. We have kindness. What, what is kindness? Kindness is, is loving-hearted. A kind person is gracious. A gracious person is someone who realizes that you have received grace from God. Of all the gifts that we receive in life, there is no greater gift than the gift of grace. And yet, ironically, it's sometimes the last thing we're willing to extend to another person. Kindness, though, is gracious. Compassion is open-hearted. A compassionate person opens the heart to allow another person in. A compassionate heart is willing to go into areas of insecurity, areas that demand of you faith, and it realizes that you can't control all the outcomes, but the zest of life, the joy of life, the love of life is going to be found when you're willing to be a compassionate person who opens the heart to others. Lying leads me to have a hard heart. When I live my life in deceit, trying to be somebody I'm not, when I speak in deceit, the heart begins to grow hard because I have to protect my lies. And after a while, the heart becomes numb. And what does a numb heart looks like, look like? It's apathetic. We can't, tell pe- we can't let people in because if we let people in, they might discover the real me. And I don't like the real me. And so sometimes we harden our heart. But a compassionate heart is a secure person. And you're able to genuinely care about others because you know who you are and whose you are. And nobody can take that from you. And when you're secure in Christ, it allows you to find the strength of vulnerability and to be compassionate to others because you know where your strength comes from. Forgiveness is full-hearted. The reality is is that all of us have had our hearts broken. Quick show of hands, we won't go into our stories. Anybody ever had your heart broken? I'm not talking about like romantic necessarily, but anybody ever just disappointed you broke your heart? Yeah. People have hurt us. It's, it's It's part of the story of humanity that we wind up having our hearts hurt along the way. And I would suspect this, you've hurt others as well. And it's really easy to wall off your heart. I think it's even easier the older we get. We wall off our heart because of the pains of the past. And we move into our emotional castles, as I've been talking about. And here's what we think. We think that the the walls of the castle are going to save us. They're going to keep people from hurting us. They're going to protect us. But in reality, those emotional castles destroy us. We become prisoners to our own walls. And so Paul reminds us, your salvation was an act of undeserved kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a recipient of God's kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. You are not under the wrath of God. You are living in the love of God. You are secure in Christ 
Christ restores the broken heart. The shalom that is spoken about throughout all of Scripture is about the repair, the completeness, the bringing back fulfillment and purpose to the broken heart. And Christ restores the broken heart, and He leads you forward, not backwards. Every single one of us should learn from the past, but none of us need to live in the past. And here's what's more. The story of your past has birthed within you a strength. If you have traversed great pain, you possess great strength. And God can use your story, the reality of who you are and what you've been through. God can use your spiritual gifts. God can use your experiences and your skills for His glory when you become an imitator of Christ, when you allow yourself to be open-hearted, forgiving-hearted, when you allow yourself to live life not in isolation but in community, when you allow yourself to venture into areas where you cannot control the outcomes but you are willing to go because you know who you are, you know that Christ will take care of you, and you're living life with integrity so that you want to live life and journey with people that you love. And so as you go to chapter 5, and we're not going to go through all the way through chapter 5 today, we're just going to look at one verse. Here's the next thought. Therefore, at a seminary professor who always used to say, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and ask what it's there for. You'll remember that. So that therefore amplifies everything else that we've talked about today. Therefore, be imitators of God as, here's the image, dearly loved children. So I want you to see yourself here for a second as a dearly loved child of God. As a believer, you're part of the family. You belong. You are accepted. You are loved. He wants you there. He invites you to spend time talking to Him in prayer. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask me and I will grant you wisdom. I want to journey with you. I want to walk with you. I want you to imitate me in life so that we become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on earth. So therefore, don't be angry. Don't live this life of deception. Don't prostitute your integrity. Be a dearly loved child of God who lives in the truth of God and it takes that truth into the world and is able to speak the truth in love and walk in love as Christ also loved us. And gave himself for us. And so as we walk in love, we're able to give ourselves. We're able to be loving because we have received the love of Christ. We're able to care about others and be compassionate because we have received the compassion of Christ. And so our life becomes a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Just as Christ gave himself as an offering for sin, We lay down our lives as an offering to God, as imitators of Christ, loving one another and loving others. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? We've traversed quite a few different subjects today, and y'all have listened so well. I appreciate that. And I believe that 
in some of our lives, this subject that we've been talking about over the last few weeks can be really a game changer. And so right where you are, I just once again want to invite you to imagine yourself as a dearly loved child of God. Imagine yourself being welcomed, loved. And I realize that perhaps you have been fed lies and you have been told throughout your life that you do not belong. People may have rejected you and isolated you, betrayed you. And you've been the recipient of a lot of pain. That doesn't have to be your walk with God. That doesn't have to define you. Because Christ has made all things new. And you can begin again in Him. And He invites you to come to Him. To be His child. Heavenly Father, oh, how I desire this for the people that I love, the people that I walk through life with, that we might find the security that is found in Christ. Lord, I thank you that you don't call us to a cold, sterile religion, but you call us to a warm, living relationship with Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we might Understand that Christ died and conquered death so that we might be your children, not just for a season, but for all eternity. And when we have that hope, we may have faith and love. We may live our lives with a genuineness, and we may live our lives with a compassion. And I ask, Lord, that you will help us to lay down the masks, to quit pretending. Help us, Lord, to lay down the deceit that twists words and help us, Lord, to live with integrity. Help us, Lord, to have firm spines and soft hearts. And may we encourage one another in your love. It's in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Let's worship. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, I'll be here at the front. If you need to take a prayer walk today and pray here at the stairs, the altar is open. Let's sing.